you're listening to the Ultimate Outcomes Sermon Podcast. Our goal at Ultimate Outcomes is to help Christians understand and apply God's Word more fully. Here's Richard with today's sermon. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. Um, this morning I'd like to begin by asking uh, the question, uh, what is the highest human ambition? What is the very highest ambition that any man could possibly have? Uh, you know, there are a lot of ambitions that, that would, would be classified as high. For example, uh, it, wouldn't you think it would be a high ambition if an athlete were to have the ambition to hit a thousand uh, home runs in Major League Baseball? Or wouldn't it be a high ambition for a businessman to hope to be the founder of the next uh, Microsoft? Or wouldn't it be a high ambition for a politician to desire to be the ruler of the free world? Well, one of the things I'd like to just say uh, by way of introduction is all of these ambitions that would seem so high really are pretty small compared to man's highest ambition, to his uh, highest desire, to the ambition and the aspirations of the human soul. Uh, What does every soul hope for, even though it sometimes seems so far out of reach? What is the highest blessing that all men desire, the greatest prize that everyone really seeks after. If you could be given one thing above all else, what would it be? Wouldn't it be the desire that we all have to gain immortality? Isn't immortality the ultimate desire of all people? Uh, Men vigorously seek ways to extend their short lives here. Think of all the uh, work and effort that goes into uh, the physical health that would be necessary to just add maybe 10 years or 15 years to our lives. And what's that compared to eternity? Uh, Eternal life, eternity, immortality is at the heart of each of us to desire. And it is at the heart of the Christian faith which promises eternal life, immortality. Immortality, an incorruptible state, a state of continuous well-being, a state in which we are no longer limited by time or by development, that, in, that we are in a, an expansive time where there is no limit on how long we can live or how, how wondrous we can develop in. It's, uh, in a, it's, a, it's a state in which the dimensions are released and we're free from uh, the, the constraints of sin and disease and death. Uh, and it's a vision that we in Christianity call salvation. What is necessary to gain immortality? Well, there's a guy that asked Christ that, and that's the important question we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, how, how do I gain eternal life? What is necessary to gain immortality? It could be said that this question is the chief end of every religion. It is the highest aspiration of every human soul. Even people who don't believe that there's life after death hope that there is. They hope that they're wrong, even though they don't believe that there is. They, they still hope that there's something beyond the grave. The question is, is how does man gain eternal life? Who knows the answers? Do the Hindus know the answer? Do the Buddhists know the answer? Do the Islamists know the answer? Jewish uh, faith, does it know the answer? Does Christianity know the way? 
does anyone truly know the way into eternity? Well, there are many voices and many answers and much confusion. So who should we believe? This, this state of, of not knowing uh, was described by the Greek philosopher Plato when he talked about his analogy of the caves. And he described the, the state that we're in in not having clarity on these important questions, how we are unable to see clearly the good or see God. In his analogy of the cave, he likens humanity to those uh, people who are inside the cave and all they can see or all we can see is the reflection of the light from outside the cave, the good or God, uh, the light coming into the cave and casting shadows of part of reality onto the wall of the cave. And that's what men know, uh, what they know from the shadows of reality that they can see. And uh, one of the things that the analogy of the cave tells us is that men can never really perceive or know the truth uh, unless somebody from outside the cave came in to tell them the truth. Now, Plato himself was in despair because he knew of no one outside of the cave that could come into the cave and tell them what it was true and what could be clearly seen if they were outside of the cave. But there is one who claims to have uh, come from eternity into our temporal existence to describe to us what is real about eternity and how to get into eternal life. There is one who claims to have come from outside the cave and come into the cave revealing what is outside the cave, and that one is Christ Jesus, of course. And so today, as we continue in our series, Important Questions, we're going to look at a question that a young rich man asked Jesus about eternal life. And this question reveals or revealed um, the common misconception that most men throughout most of human history have believed in terms of how it is that eternal life or immortality is attained. Um, how are our highest hopes realized? That's the question we're going to be looking at today. How does a man gain eternal life? How can we escape this suffering and death of our temporal existence and become secure in an immortal state of um, well-being and happiness. What can we learn from the one who comes from eternity past, who has already been in eternity future and comes into our temporal cave to show us what is real outside the cave? What can we learn from him? Uh, what can we understand? from his teachings. Today's message is entitled, Through the Eye of the Needle, and we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning and we open up your word with the uh, desire for it to make us more wise, for us to understand more completely your way, your truth, and uh, your um, revelation. And we pray, Father, that we would understand what at least at the moment of this uh, writing, the rich man did not understand. And that we would gain through the wisdom of your son's teaching uh, what is truly required to gain immortality. We pray, Father, that you would encourage us 
with the possibilities that you make open to us that would be otherwise impossible. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 16 says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So he's asking Jesus, okay, I want you to tell me what good thing I can do that would merit you giving me eternal life. And um, Jesus says this, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which one? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. Well, if he was so sure about that, why did he ask the next question? All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now you got to hand it to the young guy. He was asking the right question, and he was asking the right person the right question. Uh, and when I read this, uh, one thing that uh, comes to mind is, as this young man is seeking immortality, eternal life, uh, you know, which is really an ambition that all human beings have, uh, it seems like Christ um, wasn't all that compassionate towards the guy. He seems like he's a little blunt towards uh, this young man. And it was sort of curious to me in reading that, you know, why, why was Jesus uh, not more compassionate uh, towards this young guy? Uh, you know, isn't uh, immortality really the heart of Christ's message? Isn't it the heart of, of Christianity? Uh, why wouldn't have Christ been more encouraging to this, this young guy who is asking the very thing that Jesus came to give? Why was Jesus so short with this young seeker? And, uh, you know, why didn't he show him the same kind of compassion that he shows, showed to others? Uh, what was it in his response to him? Well, we know that Jesus loved this man, not from this account, but there's a, the, an account of the very same incident in Mark, where Mark describes Christ's affect towards this young man as, as loving him as having a real compassionate heart for him. Well, you know, it, it, it is clear that Christ loved him, yet he treated him uh, differently than he treated uh, many others who he showed at least much more softness or kindness or, or was far less blunt to, 
to others than he was to this young man. Um, and so, you know, what is it that Christ was trying to accomplish in this young man whom he loved to bring him to a state of understanding so that he could actually gain what it was that he was seeking? Love doesn't always come in a soft form. It doesn't always come in, in, uh, in, in, in a compassionate, uh, nurturing, encouraging form. Sometimes it comes with a sh challenge. And I think Christ here was trying to break through something in this man's thinking that was, um, that was uh, hard as a shell. The answer to, uh, I think, the question of why Christ uh, treated him so harshly was in the important question, it was in the, in the way the question was phrased itself, was in the, in the question that the young man asked, and what can be inferred from his question. Notice what he asked was, what good thing can I do to get eternal life? What good thing can I do? So the young man is trying to figure out how he can, based on his merit, earn or inherit immortality. The theme of this morning's message is this, is that the self-righteous are self-deluded. Let, let's look at verses 16 through 20 again. The self-righteous are self-deluded. Christ could see that this man was deluded in his thinking, and he loved him, and he wanted to deliver him from his self-delusion. And he did it by asking questions of this young guy, and uh, hoping and, and making statements and hoping that his questions and statements would break through the delusion of this man's self-righteousness. Uh, beginning at verse 16 again, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Uh, what kind of merit must I do in my life to, to be worthy of you giving me eternal life? Uh, and then Jesus asked him this question, why do you ask me about what is good? Well, now, why did Jesus ask him this question? And then he makes this statement. Jesus replied, there's only one good. There's only one who is good. And you're not it. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter uh, life, obey the commandments. So he's saying, okay, if you want to uh, enter in eternal life based on your merit, just obey all the commandments. Theoretically speaking, that will work. Uh, and, but when you're, when you're given that command, any reasonable person would have to say that's hopeless. But this young man didn't say that it was hopeless. Notice what he says. He asks which ones. So he thinks he's still in the running. Christ had just made the statement that uh, why, do you call, why do you ask about good? There's only one that's good. God alone is good. Now, you're not it. So uh, why do you keep, keep trying to stay in the running to to gain eternal life through your own merit. So, but the young man thinks he's still in the running, so he says, which one? And Jesus replied, well, okay. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not uh, give uh, false testimony, honor your father or mother, and if you've obeyed all those, love your neighbor as yourself. So the young guy says this, all these things I have kept, all these things I have kept, the young man said, uh, what do I still lack, he asks. Jesus says, oh, really? You've kept all these things. Okay, all right, you've kept all these things. Okay, if you want to be perfect then, and if you want to prove that you love that your neighbor is yourself, and if you want to prove that, that you've lived a life that loves God with all your heart, here's what you have to do. Oops, 
I guess I didn't include that in there. We'll talk about that later. But I, I, I want you to just look at these two questions here. Compare the two questions. Compare the questions, question that this man asked with the question that we ought to ask. If you look at these two questions, you're going to see there's a difference. They seem the same to begin with. But when you look at these two questions, you see the difference between all other religions and Christianity. All other religions ask this first question. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? What, how can I live in such a meritorious way to deserve uh, heaven? Uh, Christianity asks a slightly different question. It asks the question, how can I gain eternal life? Now notice the first question limits the scope of what is possible in terms of gaining eternal life to a person's merit, to what a person does. And when you limit the scope of uh, entrance into eternal life just based on what you do that is good, you um, prohibit any other possibility. The second question opens the way for there being some access into eternal life that's other than our doing uh, what's good, other than our own merit, other than our being perfect ourselves. And this second way is the way that Christ has come to teach Jesus responds to this young man by trying to show him the futility of his question. Uh, Jesus does two things to try to get this young man's attention and show him the futility of his question and realize that he's self-deluded. In thinking that he could be good enough and merit immortality, Jesus first asks him the question, why are you asking me about good, especially about you being good, when there is only one who is good and you're not it? And then he makes a statement, okay, if you think you're good enough, then you just obey all of the commandments and, and then that will be adequate. You'll get eternal life. So theoretically, based on the second statement Christ made, was it if theoretically you were perfect, that you obeyed the law perfectly, you would merit eternal life? Uh, this is the young man's delusion that he thinks that there's a possibility that he can, uh, in some way, be good enough to deserve or earn eternal life. He thinks he's still in the running during this whole conversation. And in a funny kind of way, it reminded me of the movie Dumb and Dumber. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but somehow, in my twisted mind, this rich young ruler and the John Kerry character seem to converge at a moment in the movie Dumb and Dumber. I don't know if you remember the moment, but it was um, this moment here when, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the character who is in the movie uh, had a crush on this girl, and he wanted to know what his chances were of uh, the, the two of them getting together. And so he asks her the question, what are my chances? And she said, uh, not good. And he said, uh, like maybe uh, one in a hundred? And she said, more like uh, one in a million. And Carrie says, Carrie's character says, so you're saying I have a chance. <laughs> and then there's a knock on the door and uh, the person at the door says, Mary, uh, you know, I have bad news about your husband. And John Kerry says, what's all this husband talk? I thought you said, what's all this one in a million talk? You, you have a husband? 
discovering that he had no chances at all. Uh, that's what Christ was trying to get this young guy to realize, that his hope for eternal life through his meritorious living was impossible. It was not possible. It wasn't it, the, his chances of, of gaining what all men long for, what we all hope for, uh, through uh, the pursuit of perfect obedience to the law was more than one in a million. It was one in infinite uh, chances. There's no way. The, the, the young man didn't get the clue. With all that Christ was saying, he walked away. He didn't understand what Christ was trying to teach him, show him through his questionings, the futility of his efforts to be good or do good in order to gain or merit eternal life. So clueless was this young man that... You know, uh, he, Jesus told him uh, that he told Jesus that he had perfectly kept the law. And Jesus, uh, trying again to get him through his self-delusion, um, and when he asked the question, uh, when the young man asked the question, what, what do I still uh, lack? Uh, Jesus said, okay, 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 are you still going down this road? What do I still lack? Okay, if you still think you have, are in the running for gaining eternal life through, through merit, then uh, let's put this one out before you. Take all your money, sell it, and give to the poor, and follow me. Now, what would that mean if, if the guy said, okay? If, if, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, uh, then why wouldn't our money be just as much in, uh, well spent in our neighbor's possession than in ours? And if we loved God with all our heart, why wouldn't we then just follow him with complete abandon? All of us feel the resistance of this young man. We all sympathize with him. We all recognize how hard it would have been for him as a wealthy man to give up everything. We all recognize how impossible it would be to be in his condition and fulfill Christ's requirements. And that's what Christ's point was. And um, this point made his disciples, you know, wonder about, well, gee. Um, now, this was what Christ is trying to get the whole world to understand, and most of the world doesn't get it. They don't get that it's impossible to save ourselves by doing good things. Again, the theme this morning is this, self, the self-righteous are self-deluded. And point number one is it's impossible to save ourselves. Let's take a look at verse 23 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who can be saved? Jesus took, uh, looked at them and said, uh, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So Jesus' disciples were astonished and confused by, by Jesus' response to what they saw was a fine young man. In fact, they probably looked at this guy and thought, this guy's more meritorious than we are. We know the stuff we've done. And uh, he probably has lived a much more moral life than we have. And, uh, you know, and if it's not possible for him to enter into eternal life based on the merits of his life, then what chance do we have? And then when they hear this, this, this analogy that Jesus gives, that his chances are the same as, as uh, a camel going through the eye of a needle, uh, remembering, remind, you know, that's more than one in a million. That's beyond uh, dumb and dumber chances. Uh, 
you know, then their question became, well, who can be saved? If this young guy can't be saved, who can be saved? The disciples were thinking, this guy's lived a better life than we have, so what chance do we have uh, if he has no chance for salvation? Uh, who can be saved uh, by doing good? Uh, well, that question is the basis of all world religions save one. Who can be saved by doing good? And the answer to Christ, answer Christ gives is, uh, it's impossible. Salvation is hopeless based on our own merit. So is immortality an unattainable dream? It is if we hope to gain it through perfect obedience to the law. Um, you know, Christ was trying to bring this young guy to a state of hopelessness for his, and on his idea of how to enter into eternity, not because he wanted him to be hopeless or to remain hopeless, but because he wanted him to look for another way. He wanted him to look to the way in which Christ has established for us to all enter into immortality. Um, for some reason, when I was thinking about this, I remembered a story in my early 20s. I was in a train station in Mexicali, and I was in a long line at the ticket uh, counter to get a ticket down to uh, Guadalajara from Mexicali. And uh, I was standing in the line with my girlfriend, and we were about halfway back in the line when all of a sudden the ticket window closed. The person behind the ticket window said, the train is sold out, and um, you know, you'll have to come back tomorrow. And we were in a quandary because uh, you know, we didn't want to drive all the way back up to Claremont and uh, then all the way back down to Mexicali the next day and we were standing around and people started dispersing out of the train station and I was sort of in a uh, bummed out state thinking well I don't really want to get a hotel room down here it costs too much and then all the gas back and forth at the time well, what are we going to do and as I was standing there in the train station I looked around and as people were leaving the train station I looked and I noticed there was a handful of Mexicans that were standing in the train station not going anywhere. So I turned to my girlfriend and said, I don't know why they're staying. They must know something I don't know. Maybe let's stick around and see what they know that all these other people don't know. And so we sat down and we just started watching these people who were sitting down. They were just sitting in the train station. We were sitting in the train station. 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by, 20 minutes go by and uh, there was just a handful of people still in the train station. Everybody had left. Maybe there was like 15 people left in there and the window opens up and the, and the tickets start being sold again. <laughs> Somehow these people knew that there was another way and uh, we didn't know what it was, but we thought these people know something we don't know. And so we got in line, bought the tickets and, you know, got on the train. I guess they were just saving a few tickets for the, the diehards or something. Uh, they knew something that we didn't know. And Christ has come to tell us something that we didn't otherwise know. He's come from outside the cave to tell us there's a different way to get on the train to uh, immortality. And if we hang around, uh, even in our hopelessness, and hear what he has to say, uh, we can uh, enter into what otherwise is impossible. What, 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 what was impossible for men, God has made possible. Um, 
And what makes eternity possible is asking a different question. It's impossible to gain immortality if you ask the question, what good thing can I do to get eternal life? Christ's answer is, you're barking up the wrong tree. It's impossible for you to gain eternal life through doing a good thing. The question we need to ask Christ is the question, how can we gain eternal life? Taking our merit out of the question and just asking him, Lord, is there any other way? Is there anything you know that we don't know? Is, there, is that window going to open up again? Are, are there ways of getting on the train to glory? Uh, again, this morning's message is, the theme of this morning's message is, the self-righteous are self-deluded. And point number one, it's impossible to save ourselves. And point number two is, with God, all things are possible. Let's take a look at verse 26 again. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What makes Christianity unique is the message that there is a way outside of man's own personal merit to achieve the impossible, to become immortal, to enter into a state of eternal goodness. And that which is impossible to us has been made possible uh, to us by Christ himself on the cross, atoning for our sins. Here is the doorway into eternity. The doorway into eternity is that our, um, our evil has been placed on our Savior and his righteousness has been placed on us. Uh, the way isn't in our doing good. It, the way into eternity is our becoming good in Christ. Our becoming good, becoming innocent in him. This is um, what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who, knew no, who had no sin to be sin for us, that's half of the gospel, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ we become good. We become right. We become the right, we have the righteousness that requ is required for us to uh, qualify for eternal life. It's not righteousness we've earned, it's righteousness that's been imputed to us by faith in the one who died for us. We stand innocent before God as we stand in faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, the theme this morning is the self-righteous are self-deluded. Point number one, it's impossible to save ourselves. And point number two is, with God, all things are possible. Um, this morning, I'd like to conclude by reading out of Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 23. Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 23 says this, beginning at verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. This is what Christ was trying to do with the young man. He was trying to use the law to bring the man to a consciousness of his own sinfulness and his own hopeless condition to be saved on his own so that he could learn this next uh, lesson here beginning at verse 21 but now righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify this isn't in contradiction to the law it's where the law was pointing a righteousness that comes apart from the law uh, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe 
There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace, grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The law and, and grace work together. The law and grace are both necessary. The law shows us our need and the grace of God supplies our need so that we might have our highest ambition, eternal life. Uh, Christ is the way. He is, he is the way for those who have been confronted by the law and realize that they've fallen short. They can, we can come into Christ and by faith, uh, though we have fallen short, we can be made righteous in him through faith. I'd like to conclude this morning by reading a quote from St. Augustine. St. Augustine says it this way. He says, The sufficiency of my merit is to know that my merit is not sufficient. That's what Christ was trying to teach that young guy. And until he learned that lesson, he, nothing else was open to him. Let me read that again. The, the sufficiency of my merit is to know my merit is not sufficient. Our ethical merit starts with our knowing that we're not ethically meritorious and that we need one who will impute a righteousness to us that we could never accomplish on our own. Let's pray. I thank you, Father, that you haven't left us in a hopeless state, that you've opened a window into glory. And for those who know and have come and listened to what you knew from outside the cave and come into us and showed us a different way for those who've waited on you and listened to you uh, and not just drifted away in hopelessness, but to, to listen to the one who's come from outside, inside to show us what is true. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we've heard about and we've come to put our faith in a righteousness that isn't uh, of our own doing, but a righteousness uh, that has been imputed to us by our faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are right. You're always right. You're completely right. And we put our faith in you. In Christ's name we pray. Enter into our lives and live through us, Lord. Amen. Hey, friends, thanks for listening to the Ultimate Outcomes Sermon Podcast. Ultimate Outcomes is a nonprofit organization founded on the biblical principle that knowing and applying God's truth makes a difference in the quality and destiny of our lives. It is our prayer that this podcast and its resources bless you and your churches as much as it has blessed all of us who have learned from the biblical teachings of Richard Elwell. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit www.ultimateoutcomes.org.